0: Uh, The reading today is from uh, the book of Ephesians and you can follow um, along in your notice sheet or on the screen. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm really glad to be here with you this morning as we conclude our Love Does No Harm series. I know it's been a challenging series, particularly for some more than others, perhaps. Challenging because we've been learning about family violence, family abuse. It's been emotional, it's raised big issues. If you've missed previous sermons and you'd like to catch up, you can listen on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. I'm convinced that this has been a really important series for us, important as God's people to be reminded that when we love the way that God does, love does no harm in the words of Romans chapter 13 verse 10. To conclude the series today, we're pulling our focus out more broadly. We'll be thinking together about healthy relationships and the church, about who God calls us to be in Christ as individuals and as a community. We'll be thinking together about how we can be a community of safety, of peace, of flourishing, and of hope. It may seem an odd place to start, but I've been thinking a lot about the Barbie movie since I saw it. For those who haven't seen it, it's not all p- pretty and pink and fun and frivolous as you might expect. It's set in Barbieland where there is admittedly lots of all of that. Barbieland is a place where the Barbies flourish and where they call the shots. But there's a glitch which leads to an interplay between Barbie Land and the real world. I won't say more for fear of spoilers, but the movie touches on a whole lot of huge themes. Men and women, their relationships, their roles in the world. Feminism, identity, life, death, meaning, and even more. It's a really fascinating movie because it offers some pretty searching critiques of modern life and of our current cultural moment. Here's one quote that struck me as I watched. The real world is forever and irrevocably messed up. It's a really devastating description, isn't it? The real world is forever and irrevocably messed up. Now, I know life isn't like that all of the time for most of us. We have times of fun, we have times of deep joy, of fulfillment, of thankfulness to God for his love and provision for us. But my suspicion is that many of us also have times where we resonate with this sentiment that the world is pretty messed up, that it's not the way it's supposed to be. We see elements of mess when we lift our eyes for a global perspective. Things like war, corruption, natural disaster, poverty, intractable conflict between people groups. Many of us also see elements of mess in our own lives. We sometimes experience conflict, pain, grief, sickness. We can feel frustrated with ourselves and with other people. Family abuse is also part of the mess in our world. The real world is forever and irrevocably messed up. Interestingly, God in the Bible agrees with this assessment that the world is messed up, although he talks about it in different words. Listen to Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. So God makes it clear that the world is messed up because of human sin. Our decisions to live the way we want rather than the way God calls us to. Our decisions to do what we want, when we want. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. We have all been dead in our sins, deserving of God's wrath. And if family abuse is part of the mess of our world, it's vital to say, theologically, that it's one of the manifestations of sin in our world. Family abuse is sinful behaviour. And it's serious sinful behaviour. Not all sin is abusive, but all abuse is sinful. We've learnt a lot about family abuse in this series. Today, before we move on to hear about God's blueprint for Christ-like and healthy relationships in the church, I'd like to share briefly about what are sometimes called red flags about family abuse. One Christian woman who is a survivor reflected in an article on how difficult it is as a Christian to talk at church about what is happening in your marriage when it's not going well. She also said this, I really think there are red flags in the congregation that indicate family abuse might be happening in a relationship. It's worth knowing what they are. And she flagged a few. These are only indicators, they are not definite. She mentioned that changes in mood or attendance at church um, might indicate that someone is experiencing abuse. If someone starts regularly leaving quickly after events that might also be a sign that someone is is being abused. Another sign she pointed out that someone might be choosing to abuse might be when, say, a husband controls the narrative about his wife. So a husband might continually explain why his wife isn't at church or at social events. He might confide in others, maybe especially in those who are in leadership, that his wife is having emotional trouble or mental illness. But the wife herself might never give those explanations. He may make friends with everyone at church, making it hard for his wife to feel that she would be believed if she spoke about the the abuse she was experiencing. Now, we need to say these are only flags. Uh, Situations of abuse are really varied and complex. These red flags might sometimes be indicative of abuse, but there are no hard and fast rules about what abuse looks like. I want to say at this point, if you have any concerns about your own situation or that of someone else, please talk to someone. Talk to me or John, use the QR code in the news sheet to find professional help. I'm really thankful for what we've had the opportunity to learn through this series. I'm thankful for articles like this where Christians can share from their own experience. I'm thankful for conversations that I've had with people through this series, with people who've had the courage to share their own experiences. And my prayer is that this series will provide a solid foundation for St. Jude's to keep growing as a church, where God's love is at the centre of all of our relationships. But how can we do that in a world that is messed up because of human sin, in churches that are sometimes messed up by human sin, by my sin, by your sin. We've seen that oddly Barbie and the Bible agree that the world is messed up, even if they use different words. Something I found really interesting about the Barbie movie was that while it raised lots of big questions, I didn't see any compelling answers. It didn't really answer a solution to the mess that it sees in this world but the Bible does. The solution to the mess in our world is God's offer to each of us of forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 1, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The solution is salvation through God's love, mercy and grace shown in the death of Jesus on the cross. Ephesians 2, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God offers hope to all of us, hope that as we repent, turning away from sin and turning to Christ in love and trust, we are made alive, we are redeemed, we are forgiven. But I want to be clear that this hope of life and forgiveness in Christ doesn't mean that there aren't people who choose to abuse in churches. We know there are Christians who choose to abuse. And this hope of life and forgiveness in Christ doesn't mean that those who experience abuse should put up with what they experience. Not at all. Anyone who experiences abuse should speak the truth and get help. The flip side is that those who choose to abuse, whether Christians or not, should suffer the consequences, the just consequences for their actions. But I do also want to say clearly that God loves every one of us And in his mercy and grace offers forgiveness and life to those who repent of their behaviour and put their trust in Christ. Sam last week talked a, a bit about what true repentance looks like. So listen to his sermon again if you'd like to hear more. So where does all of that leave us? Where does it leave our hope to have healthy relationships in our church? It leaves those of us who trust in Christ with a new identity, and a new lifestyle, a new wardrobe, believe it or not. Stay with me as we think about that. Verse 20 in Ephesians 4 that we had read for us earlier. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Those who've put their trust in Jesus have a new self, a new identity given to us by God when we were made alive with Christ. And when we first put our trust in Jesus, we put off our old self and put on this new one. That's what repentance means, turning away from our old identity and by God's grace embracing the new. The new identity created by God to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. It's a bit like what happened for me when I finished studying after uni. I studied science law at uni. I was a student for five and a half years. That was my identity. When I finished studying, there was a particular moment where my identity changed. It happened in the Supreme Court of New South Wales in Sydney, where I was living. Myself and a cohort of my friends, Uh, We're in the Supreme Court, we made promises, we were handed certificates. I walked out of that courtroom no longer a student, but a solicitor. Many of you will have had similar experiences in other professions. But even though I then was a solicitor, I still had heaps to learn about how to be a solicitor, how to work as a solicitor. It's the same for us as Christians. Once we've put our trust in Christ, we are new people. But that is not the end of God's work in our lives. We're to continue to be made new by God in the attitude of our minds in verse 23. This is progressive sanctification, if you want the theological term, and it's a lifelong project. This is God's work in us that he does as we read the Bible regularly. That he does as we pray, asking him to change us. That God does as we gather together at church and in our connect groups. That God does as we hold ourselves accountable to Christian brothers and sisters. And that God does as we put off our old clothes and put on our new clothes every day. John Stott writes that in this passage, the divine and the human are beautifully blended. Of course we can't bring about our own new birth. God is the only one who can do that. But we are also involved. Stott says, recreation, what God does, and repentance, what we do by his grace, belong together and can't be separated. When I was still a student, I dressed like a student. Jeans, t-shirts, shorts, casual skirts, you know how students dress. The styles might have changed, but the vibe is still the same for students. After I became a solicitor, I needed a new wardrobe to match that new identity. I remember buying my first suit. It was a long black skirt, a cropped black jacket, beautiful buttons. I loved wearing that suit. Lawyers back then wore suits every day. There is no way I could turn up to work wearing jeans or even wearing a casual skirt. I needed to wear clothes that matched my new identity. As Christians, we have put off our old identity by repenting. We have put on a new identity by trusting in Jesus. And so now God calls us each day to keep taking off the old clothes, the old lifestyle, that matched our old identity. And to keep putting on the new clothes, the new behavior each day that suits our new identity in Christ. There's a general pattern that we see in Ephesians chapter four, verse 25, down to five, verse two. First of all, there's a prohibition. Don't do this, put off this quality. Then a positive command, put on a very different, often opposite quality. This is a constant process right through our lives. It's a picture of what ongoing repentance looks like. Christian sanctification is all about, in God's strength, taking off our old clothes, our old lifestyle each day, like we take off our pyjamas every morning, and about getting dressed each day, in, in each moment of each day in our Christian lifestyle, just as we get dressed every day in our clothes. The way this new lifestyle is described in the rest of Ephesians 4 and into chapter 5 is all about relationships. So let's look briefly now at some of our old clothes and at some of our new ones in Christ. I guess we're doing a bit of a Christian version of Marie Kondo on our lives. What are we going to throw out and what are we going to keep? We see our first new garment is truth rather than lies. In verse 25, therefore, because we have a new identity, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Stott writes that fellowship is built on trust and trust is built on truth. So falsehood falsehood undermines fellowship while truth strengthens it. I remember a colleague in Sydney reflecting on the family that he'd grown up in and on one of his brothers who had a pattern of telling lies in that family. He shared about the devastating impact those lies had had on his family. Lies undermine trust. Someone I talked to last week reflected on her experience of abuse in her family. One of her encouragements was was for Christians to stop being nice. Nice isn't a virtue anywhere in the Bible. And her experience was that niceness meant that Christian people weren't willing to hear the truth about what was happening in her family. Both speaking the truth and hearing the truth should be part of our new lifestyle in Christ. But truth-telling and truth hearing aren't always easy, are they? Either in our Christian family or in other contexts, in our friendships, in dating relationships, in our marriages. Perhaps it might be helpful to think about why we might sometimes be tempted to lie. Perhaps we're tempted to lie to cover up sin. Perhaps we're tempted to lie so that we can gain control of a person or a situation. Perhaps we're tempted to lie to make ourselves look better than we are. Perhaps we're sometimes tempted to lie so that we can avoid a difficult conversation. All of those reasons belong to our old identity, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Brothers and sisters, let's take those lies off. Every day, let's put on the new garment of truthful speech that God has given us. Also hugely relevant in the context of family abuse, but more broadly is our second new garment, righteous anger rather than sinful anger. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I wonder what makes you angry and what you do when you feel angry. It seems clear from verse 26 that not all anger is inherently sinful. It's sometimes right to be angry, maybe in response to injustice, in response to wrongdoing, in response to an experience of violence or abuse. It's right to be angry. Although verse 31, which urges us to get rid of anger and rage, indicates that some anger is sinful in and of itself. But even if our anger is right, there's still a temptation to sin when we are angry. We might sin by holding onto our anger, by nursing it, by letting it grow. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. It doesn't have to be taken literally, but it's an encouragement for us to deal with our anger in a timely fashion so it doesn't lead us into sin. Which is what Paul says next. In our anger, we're not to give Satan an opportunity to lure us into sin. Don't let anger drive you towards words that hurt. Don't ever let anger drive you towards violent or abusive behaviour. Often anger isn't a pleasant emotion to experience. It's an emotion many of us struggle to control or to express in a helpful way. It can be really difficult not to sin when we're angry. A few years ago, I was trained as a facilitator of a parenting course called Tuning Into Kids. A core element of the course was helping to train parents to help their kids to identify the emotions that drove their angry behaviour. I found it really helpful for me personally and also as a parent. It's worth getting help if you struggle with anger that leads you into sin. Brothers and sisters, in your anger, do not sin. Our third new garment is words that build up verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I wonder if you've ever had that experience where you hear hurtful words coming out of your mouth. Maybe sometimes where you deliberately say something that you know will hurt or other times where even though you don't want to say those horrible words, they still come out anyway. The old rhyme doesn't really ring true, does it? Sticks and stones may break my burnt bones, but words will never hurt me. Words can hurt. We've heard through this series how words can control and cause harm but perhaps you've also had experiences when someone has spoken words of care, words of love, words that have encouraged you and built you up, words that you needed to hear. As we do that more and more for each other, God builds a community that protects from abuse by modelling words that express love and care. Brothers and sisters, let's take unwholesome words off. Let's be people every day who put on the garment of words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs. Our fourth new garment is kindness and love. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't know if you've heard that expression that we live in an outrage culture. I think our cultural moment really does encourage us to be quick to criticize, to be quick to get angry, to pick a fight, even if it's a metaphorical one. But our new lifestyle in Christ means our clothes are to be kindness and compassion. We're to be quick to forgive each other because we have experienced God's forgiveness in Christ. I wanna add a rider that for those who've experienced abuse, forgiveness has some complexity. Sam talked more about this last week, so listen to his sermon again or chat with me later. All of us are to clothe ourselves in the beautiful love that we have experienced in Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What a beautiful picture this is, brothers and sisters, of garments that we're to put on daily, garments of love, kindness, compassion, forgiveness it's really easy to see isn't it how this clothing this lifestyle will produce relationships that are safe but much more than that relationships that are good that are right that are shaped by love rather than by sin how this clothing produces a community of flourishing and safety and love and hope So why, even in Christian communities, don't we always do this? In our friendships, when we're dating, in our marriages, why do Christians sometimes fight? Why do churches sometimes split bitterly? Why do we sometimes hurt each other with our words? Why do Christians sometimes choose to abuse? When I was a teenager, I remember one of my friends was having a sleepover party, My mum made me wear a dress, even though I knew everybody else was going to come wearing jeans. I still feel really embarrassed when I think about it. It's horrible wearing the wrong clothes. Maybe you've experienced something like that too, even perhaps that really Melbourne experience of wearing the wrong clothes for the weather. As Christians, the truth is we all sometimes dress inappropriately we all sometimes put on the wrong clothes for our new identity. Every day we have many choices, choices about what behaviours to put off, about what behaviours to put on. These choices will continue for the rest of our lives. And we don't always choose clothes that match our identity as people created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have a continuing battle with sin, with our old identity. So, how can we get better at putting on our new clothes? I wonder how you get dressed every morning. The morning rush in our family regularly includes questions like these Can someone bring me some undies? said from behind a firmly closed door. (laughs) Just to clarify, (laughs) Uh, this one might be more pertinent. I have this shirt ironed, what goes with it? (laughs) Or just, what should I wear? My reply to that question is often, what do you feel like wearing? Which doesn't seem as helpful to the blokes in our family as I think it should be. This kind of flurry of getting dressed isn't the getting dressed that Ephesians 4 has in mind. What Ephesians 4 urges is more like the kind of getting dressed we do for an important occasion. If we're going to a party or a wedding or an interview where we get our clothes ready ahead of time, we think about what we will wear. Ephesians is urging us towards the kind of getting dressed that is deliberate, and intentional. God encourages us to be intentional and deliberate about the character that we put on every day about the behavior that we choose. There are lots of ways we can be intentional. Let me share just a couple of thoughts. We can be intentional by setting in place regular habits of Bible reading and prayer. This is a spiritual battle. It's God who makes us new in the attitudes of our minds in verse 23. He is the one who enables us to take off the old and put on the new. So regularly, let's be people who read our Bibles and pray. We can be intentional by setting in place disciplines to help ourselves. In one season of parenting, I had a seven-minute drive from the church I was working at and the school where Toby was. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Only seven minutes. But what ended up happening was I would get to school with my head still full of what had happened that day at work. And Toby sometimes wore my stress or my preoccupation. And so in that short drive, I started putting on a discipline of debriefing myself, of praying as I got to school that I would be a mum rather than a minister as I met Toby. What disciplines would help you? It might be simple things like getting enough sleep, patterns that are helpful around work and rest. We all need to work out those disciplines for ourselves. We can also be intentional about getting help to change when we need it. This is a spiritual battle, but God gives us all kinds of resources to help us. There may be times when you need professional help to change, things like unrighteous anger, falsehood, unwholesome talk, those can become ingrained habits, often difficult to shift. So keep praying, Praying. reach out to one of us on the staff team for help or contact a a psychologist or a counsellor if you need to. And finally, be be intentional by being accountable to a Christian brother or sister. Share your struggles with someone you trust. Read the Bible and pray with somebody else. We need God's help to put on our new clothes, and we need each other's help as well. Barbie tells us that the real world is forever and irrevocably messed up. It is messed up. Sin continues to do that work of messing up the world. But the Bible isn't as bleak as Barbie is. The impact of sin in the world is not forever, and it is not irrevocable. One day, Jesus will return, and those who trust in him will have clean robes once and for all, robes washed clean by the blood of Jesus. We hear in Revelation 22, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. This city in God's new creation is one where there will be no mess, where there will be no sin. It's a city where God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. What a beautiful promise, what a beautiful hope. That is what our new clothes in Christ are preparing us for. So while we wait, let's keep getting dressed every day in the clothes that God has created for us. Clothes that enable us to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, let's walk in the way of love just as Jesus has loved us. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much that you have loved us in Christ. Thank you that as we trust in Jesus, you make us new. God, please help each of us to get dressed every day in the character that you give us in Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.